Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Mark chapter 13, verses 14 through 23, with Pastor John King. Thank you, Pastor John. Nothing to see here. Uh, let me see. Let me do something here real quick. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 13. We're going to be verses 14 through 23. Mark chapter 13, verses 14 through 23. So good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, as Pastor John said. You know what, it's good to share the load, too. I really appreciate, John, what you do. And, and not, you know, not to mention everybody, but if you notice, Pastor John has stepped up uh, a lot lately. And, and, you know, he's been leading the prayer in the morning, which is an awesome time. And so it's, it's such a good thing to, uh, to share in the, in the wealth, if you will. So. Well, last week, Jesus began his famous sermon called the Olivet Discourse. And the reason for that was because of the location. They were sitting on the Mount of Olives. They had just, just left the temple area. And they were in full view of the temple, sitting opposite the temple from this mountain. Now last week, we, we, you recall, we covered the first half of what's known as the tribulation. And Jesus noted, lets us know that in verse uh, 8, where he says it's known as the beginning of sorrows. But today we're going to see how the Lord continues to answer the question everybody wants to know. When is the world as we know it going to end? And how can we tell when the time is near? This time we're referring to what is known as the Great Tribulation. A time in the future when all hell breaks loose here on earth. You think it's bad now. You think it was bad maybe if you suffered through a, a world war but it's going to be unbelievable. And the world is truly on the brink of destruction. This is, this is what's going to happen during the Great Tribulation. That is until God puts an end to the suffering and the Lord Jesus returns on a white horse. He returns in victory. And he comes, as the Bible says, with great power and glory. That's how he's coming next. Now for us, he's going to call us to the, into the clouds. He's going to come get us, meet us halfway between you know, heaven and earth, if you will. And he's going to come and, and uh, call his church out in the rapture. But when he comes for the second coming, he's coming in great power and glory. So let's read our passage for today. We're going to be again in Mark 13, verses 14 through 23. Jesus says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, staring, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter, for in those days there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor shall ever be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, 
whom he chose, he shortened the days. Verse 21. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed. See, I have told you all things beforehand. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word today. Uh, you have given us such a gift of truth. And as you, Lord, as we hear the words of prophecy from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what a comfort it is for those of us who know you and know the future that you have for us, the promises that you give us. Lord, we live on promises. We don't live on predictions. We live on promises from your word. And so, Lord, may this be a time for us to encourage one another. But for those that are here today or those who are online that aren't sure where they're at, they're just not certain about the future. They may not know you as Lord and Savior, or they're not certain of their salvation. Lord, will you speak to them in a mighty way today? Will you go before all of us, Lord? Let us be humbled in your sight as we study your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, Amen. So we start out with verse 14, kind of the first part of it. And what we're talking about here is the Great Tribulation. In other words, read your Bible, because it's spelled out. You know, prophecy doesn't have to be difficult if you take it in a literal sense. When you start to allegorize it or, you know, kind of play around with prophecy, well, you can make it very complicated. But today we're going to see, he says, Jesus, we return to this, our, our scripture. Recall from last week, if you will, kind of need to set the table for this. Jesus was answering the question his disciples were very puzzled over. Having prophesied the coming destruction of the temple, you remember in 13 verse 2, when he asked the question, when he, made, when he marveled at the sight of the temple, Jesus answered him and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And then jump to verse 4, they asked, Well, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Again, these, these questions. And they had mainly two questions. You know, when's it going to happen? When's the destruction, the coming destruction of the temple? And what will be the sign of it, of it happening? Now, Again, from last week, we had to kind of look over to Matthew's account to realize in Matthew 24, 3, that what they were really looking for was three events. They wanted answers about three coming events. The first one is, tell us when these things will be, if you'll notice. And that is the destruction of the temple. And we know historically that it happened in A.D. 70. The Romans destroyed the temple. They didn't leave one stone unturned. But the next event they want to know about is what will be the sign of your coming? We said the parousia. In other words, his presence, his arrival, and his presence with us. And, and you know, they have to kind of wait for the answer for that if you follow Matthew in verse 27, Matthew 24, 27. Well, this is what it's going to look like in the second coming. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So that's what it's going to look like but, you know, we know that we won't be there with him. And then we'll, we'll be coming back with him. We won't be on the opposite end of it because we'll have been raptured. 
And then the third event they want to know is, what about the end of the age? You see, the problem that they had was, in their minds, they believed that the destruction of the temple, the end of the world, and the coming of Jesus Christ was all going to happen simultaneously. And so Jesus needs to set them straight. And so he gives them an answer here in verse 14. He says, so when you see the abomination of desolation, the abomination of desolation. Now, many things have been done with this word, and uh, you know, there's been movies and books written. What does it mean? What is the abomination of desolation? Well, the abomination uh, is, is really, it's blegoma. It's, it's kind of a, even a foul-sounding Greek word. And what it means is it's a foul and detestable thing. And it would often be used of describing idols or things pertaining to idolatry. In the eyes of God and in the eyes of the Jews, it was an object of disgust. New Living Translation says the sacrilegious object. So you have the abomination, this object of disgust, of desolation. And what that does, it says of desolation. Desolation meaning making desolate. Or New Living Translation says causes desecration. David Guzik writes this, he says, essentially the abomination of desolation speaks of the ultimate desecration of the Jewish temple, an idolatrous image in the holy place itself, which will inevitably result in the judgment of God. It is the abomination that brings desolation. And Jesus says, so the abomination of desolation, which they would have understood, we had, we had to kind of go through the Greek and, and get a better understanding of it. And then he says, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, or by Daniel the prophet. Where does Daniel speak of this? Well, three times. Three times in Daniel's uh, prophetic writings, uh, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 11, and Daniel chapter 12. We're going to go over those in a minute. But something we need to learn today, right now, when you talk about prophecy, if you, looked at, if you were to look at Daniel 9, and you may want to write this down, Daniel 9, verses 20 through 27, it'd be good, good homework to read this on your own. This is where Daniel lays out what is known as the 70 weeks of prophecy. These are, this was a, a prophecy that was received by Daniel in a vision from the angel Gabriel. And this lays out a prophetic timeline of 490 years. Because in, in Jewish, uh, in the context of, of what's been given, uh, a week is a week of seven, a week of seven years, if you will. So if you take 70 weeks times seven weeks, 70 times seven, you come up with 49, you add a zero, it's 490. 69 of those prophetic weeks or 483 years, began with the rebuilding of the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. And that happened in 445 B.C. And you can read about that in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And that 483 years goes from 445 B.C., all the way to the time of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem in approximately A.D. 32. 
And if you're curious about how that, that came, how those calculations came about, uh, most scholars uh, that hold to this position that I hold to, they use uh, uh, calculations by a, a man named Sir Robert Anderson. Sir Robert Anderson was an engineer, a uh, British uh, engineer and scientist who lived in the 1800s. And you can go and Google him. You can go to his site. There's a site called Rapture Ready. It's got all kinds of wonderful information in it. And he gives a very scientific approach on how he came up with this. Now, these 70 weeks are divided into three segments. The first seven weeks, or 49 years, was Jerusalem and its walls being rebuilt. The next segment is you add another 62 weeks to the seven weeks, and that equals 69 weeks, and that's how we came up with the 483 years from the decree to rebuild the wall to the Messiah, the Prince, arriving in Jerusalem. But the final week, you say, well, that's 69 weeks. I'm following you with you. Now, what about the final week? The final week to complete the prophecy. And the reason why it hasn't been completed yet is because this prophecy applies directly to the nation Israel. You can't take this prophecy and try to apply it to anybody else but the nation Israel. And because the nation rejected her Messiah, the 70th week of Daniel has been placed on hold until the final seven years before Jesus' return, which is the Great Tribulation, or the Tribulation. Are you with me so far? If not, <laughs> you might have to go back. I can share you with my, my notes as well. Do your own research, though. So what are the three... Let's look at the three scriptures that Daniel has, that Jesus is referring to. Remember, our Lord is going to refer back to the Old Testament. So whenever somebody tries to say, ah, the Old Testament doesn't apply anymore today, or how do you know it's true? Well, Jesus Christ himself, our Lord and Savior, references the Old Testament on a very frequent basis. So if you want to throw out everything, if you want to throw out Jesus and you want to throw out his authority, you know, you got to throw out the entire Bible. But we see in Daniel 9.27, talking about the abomination, it says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Again, this is seven years. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. What's happening there? When the Antichrist signs the treaty at the beginning of the tribulation, right after the rapture of the church, he's going to give the nation Israel permission to not only rebuild their temple, but to do sacrifices, just like they did in the old days, olden days. In fact, to this very day, there are people in Jerusalem that are practicing, they've got all the utensils, and they are ready to start the sacrifices again when Messiah returns. So that's, that's happening, and it says, but in the middle of the seven years, three and a half years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be the one who makes desolate. This is where he's going to reveal who he truly is. His true colors are going to be made known. And now he's going to say, you don't get to do sacrifices anymore to your God. I want you, the nation Israel, and the entire world for that matter, to worship me. And it says, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Daniel 11.31. Again, we talk about the abomination of desolation. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices, 
and place there the abomination of desolation. The foul and disgusting thing that it is, and it turns out to be the man himself, and all the things he may want to do. He may, who knows? He, he, well, we'll go into that in a minute. Daniel 12, 11. Again, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, the abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Guess how long that is, folks? That's three and a half years. Three and a half years. So those are the scriptures that our Lord is referring to as spoken in the prophet Daniel. And he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, back to our text for today, standing where it ought not. Where is it going to be standing? Where is this going to, abomination? It's going to be standing right there in the temple. Matthew 24, 15. Standing in the holy place is what it says. And notice what Jesus says here next. In parentheses in your Bible it says, and mine too, it says, let the reader understand. Why did he put that in there? And the reason is because God's grace is merciful. His grace is, is never-ending. And so the reason that he put that there was because if you're alive during the tribulation, let's just say that you didn't heed any of the warnings that you were given on a day like today when, the, when this is being preached. Let's just say that you really didn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That you might be the one, God forbid, that would say, Lord, Lord, and he'd say, I never knew you. And you were alive during the time of the rapture of the church, and you ended up in this great tribulation, this seven years. Well, here you have the scriptures to let you know what's going to happen. God's grace is that good. Now, you, you shouldn't have ended up there. You want to get saved. You want to give your life to Jesus right now so that if, you, if this is the generation, if we are the generation, that you will end up with the church when the church is taken away to be with the Lord. But if you find yourself in the Great Tribulation and you have access to a Bible, you'll be able to read for yourself. As a matter of fact, you'll be able to count the days. You have to get to the Tribulation before you can set dates, is what we're saying. And by then you'll be able to, because God's prophesied what it's going to be like. And if you surrender your life in that time, you'll be known as the one of the Tribulation Saints. And you may have to give your life you may have to die in order to stand for your faith. Very likely. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, some of you students of Jewish history might say, well, hold on. Hold on a minute. What about this guy known as Antiochus Epiphanes? Remember the king of Syria? Didn't he in 178 BC enter the temple and proceed to build an altar to Zeus in the temple courtyard? Yes, he did. And didn't he sacrifice a pig right there on it? And didn't he set up a prostitution trade in the temple chambers? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And this led to what was known as the Maccabean Revolt, part of the Jewish Wars. And they were able to overthrow this man and run him out. Many believe that this was prophesied in Daniel 11.31. Now, of course, Jesus would have known about this historic event. So what he was saying here in this passage, and by referencing Daniel, 
is that the previous takeover and defilement of the temple by Antiochus was going to be the same thing that would happen in the future when the Antichrist would come and openly blaspheme God. Paul would write in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition, that's the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Jesus is given a warning. He's even let us know that he's provided a way if, if you're part of the generation that doesn't survive uh, the rapture, so to speak, and you find yourself in the great tribulation, that you have a written record of what's going to happen to you. Next, we see in the great tribulation that you can run, but you cannot hide. Jesus goes on. He says in verse 14, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then... Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in Judea flee. That word flee is, is a, word, a Greek word, fuego. It means, uh, it, it, it's actually translated in the English as fugitive. As the Antichrist unveils his real agenda, and that is to demand that the Jews and the world worship him, the only hope, to avoid the coming massacre is to try and escape as quickly as possible. One writer put it this way, in describing these end time events, he references the prophet Zechariah declared that only one third of the Jewish population living in Judea at that time will survive. Zechariah 13.8. It says, and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. Is that you today? Can you say, the Lord is my God? Amen. Amen. Another, another writer says this, those who successfully escape will come to saving faith, having been refined by God through the persecution inflicted on them by the Antichrist. As God himself has promised at that time, what we said, they will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say, the Lord is my God. In verse 15, Jesus says, Let him who is on a housetop not go down into the house, nor enter and take anything into it. Now in those days, they, would, they had the flat roofs. You know, we have our porches and our patios. Well, they have a flat roof that they even have to this day. And that's where they go up, you know, on the end of the day in the cool of the early evening and relax, you know, and enjoy. And so... Uh, they were flat rooftops and they were used for rest and meditation or neighbors would come visit. 
And most of the steps, or most, most of the houses had steps both inside and outside that led up to the roof. But when the abomination is seen, and it won't be a mistake, the danger is so imminent that a person should flee from his roof immediately, not even go inside of his house. And he says in verse 16, let him who is in the field not go back and get his clothes. You don't have time for that. You forget all your personal possessions. In verse 17, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. You know, he's saying grieve, woe, grieve for those who can't move as quickly as they would like to. And then he says, and pray that your flight may not be in winter. Even though winters are relatively mild in Jerusalem, you know, they're averaging the low 40s, uh, as you might expect, just like here, they, they get the occasional snowstorms. So let's, let's stop for a minute. What, what have we learned so far? I mean, what, what, have we, what can we take away? If you were taking notes, what would we be able to say? Well, first of all, Jesus was, again, continuing his reply to his disciples about future events. He's talked about the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Luke 21.20 says, he, he wrote this, he says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know it is desolation is near. What he's referring to there is directly what happened in A.D. 70 when the Romans surrounded the city and destroyed it. So there would, he was prophesying in the near future and he was prophesying in what turns out to be well over 2,000 years future. We also see that what we've learned so far is in the middle of this tribulation, the Antichrist reveals his true nature right there in the middle. Daniel 12, 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, the abomination of desolation is set up. There will be an equivalent of three and a half years. It lists the days, 1,290 days. Another thing we've learned so far is just as when the Romans surrounded the temple in A.D. 70, when the Antichrist reveals himself in the temple, those that live in the immediate vicinity around Jerusalem and Judea will need to flee to the hills for their safety. Now, uh, let's, let's hear an opposing view just for, just for a second. Now, I don't, uh, we, we need to be aware that there are those who would say otherwise about this prophecy. David Guzik talks about it. He said, these words of Jesus, what we've said, learned so far, these words of Jesus have led some to believe that all Christians, the church as a whole, will go through this time known as the Great Tribulation. And that this warning must be for you and I. Now he makes three points to kind of refute that. First of all, he says, however, Jesus also promised to catch his people up from the earth and meet them in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 18. That's the rapture. Jesus also told us to pray that we would be counted worthy to escape this time, this wrath. Luke 21, 36 and Jesus promised to keep his faithful from the time of judgment that would come upon the earth, Revelation 3.10. So if you go to those scriptures, you can get a good uh, defense, if you will, for the position that we hold. In fact, Jesus gave this warning primarily as a specific, amazing prophecy of events 
thousands of years before they happened, so that the Jewish people during the days of the abomination of desolation, like we were saying earlier, would have a unique witness to Jesus and his word. Having this written down during the tribulation, why do you think, uh, for one reason, why do you think there will be 144,000 Jews who will have the uh, evangelical gift as a, you know, a greater than Billy Graham, if you will? I mean, it'll all come crashing down when they read all this and they go, oh my goodness. I mean, you talk about ripping your shirt and covering yourself with ashes. They're going to be ready to tell the world how they messed up and how they need to get right with God. So this warning is primarily for those who will go through the great tribulation. But it should bring heart to us. It, bring, it should bring, uh, you know, strangely said, a, a kind of a warmth to our heart when we realize that we are not destined for God's wrath if you're in Christ. Now we look at our third part of today's message, the great tribulation. We do know that God will protect his own during the tribulation, verses 19 through 23. Jesus says, For in those days there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. Now, don't let anybody try to tell you that this has happened in the past. It didn't. It couldn't have. And the Bible proves it. Tribulation, philipsis, if you will, or King James Version, if you have a King James Version, it's, it's called affliction. This, this means anguish or distress or persecution or intense pressure. You know, you think you feel pressure nowadays. Matthew 24, 21 says, For then there will be a great tribulation, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. So what's going to happen? As we've said, this Jewish nation will have been restored to Palestine by a, the, uh, in unbelief by this Gentile, this, this Antichrist. And they will... He will use this, this instrumentation, if you will, but they will suffer an unprecedented outburst of fury on the part of the anti-Christian powers that are confederate under the man of sin. There's going to be a time like no other. Jeremiah 30, verse 7 says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it. In the end time, the world will experience great tribulations, unparalleled in history. So let's just take a real quick glance. Again, you, you know, this is all paralleled in the book of Revelation. And if you want to join us on Wednesday nights as we continue our study, uh, we'll be glad to order more study guides. That's an easy thing. We can do it. But over the next six months, we're going to be talking about these end times. We're going to be going through the book of Revelation. You may, out of interest, want to come out this Wednesday because we're going to talk about America. And that's a big question for everybody. Where's America in prophecy? What happens to the United States of America? But when we look at what happens during this time, this great tribulation, we're just going to run through this really quickly. We have thunder. This is during the tribulation. Thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Well, if it gets mentioned in the Bible, that, that must mean it's pretty a large earthquake, a, a large amount of thundering and lightning. 
If you're afraid of thunder and lightning now, <laughs> you. Revelation 8, verses 1 through 5 talks about that. Again, natural catastrophes. It's all in Revelation 8. Uh, hail and fire will consume a third of the earth's vegetation, and a third of the ocean will be turned to blood. A third of fresh water will be poisoned. A third of the sun, moon, and stars will be darkened. That's what it's going to be like. Has that happened before? I don't think so. There'll be demonic like locusts or plagues. You say, how can that happen? I think of these little drones. What can they do with little drones? They could do some amazing things with little drones. They could probably sting you. And that's not a joke. There'll be a demonic-like army. Countless of demons will be released from bondage to terrorize mankind. A third of the earth's population will be killed. Revelation 9, 12-21. The nations will be angry. They'll be destroying the earth. There's going to be a great amount of frustration. The promised Babylon city, this great city is going to fall. And people are going to be very angry. You're going to have an evil political ruler, the Antichrist. You're going to have a false religious ruler, both in Revelation 13. You're going to have terrible destruction and, st and suffering upon both nature and upon men. There will be people with incurable sores that will cause great pain. The entire sea will turn to blood and all sea creatures will die. The rivers will turn to blood. The earth will experience extreme heat. Darkness will engulf the world. The Euphrates River will dry up. And a final global earthquake will cause massive changes to the earth's appearance. Revelation 16, verses 1 through 21. And we've been reading about this evil, deceptive world power. Revelation 17 to 18. And the Lord says, this destruction, those days, there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor shall ever be. A promise from the Lord. A promise from the Lord that it's going to be bad, and then it's going to be over. Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2. At that time, Michael stood up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since the, there was a nation, even at that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. In verse 20, we see God is sovereign over all this madness that is going on, all this craziness. God is sovereign all over. And he says, and unless, in verse 20, and unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. On the scale of the great flood, where the entire world was on the brink of destruction, complete and total destruction, the great flood, God would save a remnant. Remember, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And there will be those. And they're known as the elect. The elect are not the same as the church. Now, in a general sense, everyone who has obtained salvation through Jesus Christ, is one of the elect. We could say that about all of us. But we are also part of the church, and we know that the church will be raptured. So who are the elect? Well, in the time of tribulation, 
in this very specific sense that Jesus is referring to, these are the tribulation saints, the Jews and the Gentiles who will come to faith during this specific time. In fact, they say, some people have said it will be the greatest revival in all of history. You know, it takes a crisis sometimes, doesn't it? It takes a crisis to surrender your life and to submit to God. Well, God's going to provide that crisis if you're alive during the Great Tribulation. It says, but for the elect's sake whom he chose. Always a good reminder that anybody who has salvation in Christ has it because it was his plan. It was his idea. Not yours, not mine. Ephesians 4, 1, uh, 1, excuse me, Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 5. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now you may wrestle with God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, but just remember, he's in charge, and he knows. And it says here, he shortened the days. In other words, he cut them off. God is in control. When all hell breaks loose on this earth, he's only going to let it go so far, and then he will shorten the days. But Jesus finishes here in verse 21. He says, but if anybody says to you during that time, while these things are going on, remember, this is for the tribulation saints and the Jews that will be alive during that time. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. When Jesus returns, everyone's going to know it. So if it's a person over here or a person over there, he's warning them ahead of time. Now he's telling them, again, pay attention, reader. Pay attention to what's happening. Yes, you can set your clock now, but also be aware of false teachers because they're going to be all over the place. You know, whenever there's a lot of confusion in the world, people have, are, you know, they're, they're left and right coming up with answers to fix our world's problems, aren't they? whether they're politicians or corporations or whoever they may be, people will always climb you know, out of the woodwork to offer you a solution to life's problems. False messiahs and prophets will arise when men are oppressed and oppressed, witnessing scene after scene of death by hunger and pestilence, murder and war and a cry for deliverance. They are ever so open to a deliverer arising on the scene. And some are always ready to assume the power and leadership for which men cry. Such men, deliverers who promised deliverance from both the Romans and the natural disasters, arose in the siege of Jerusalem. When the city was surrounded, there were men who arose up and said, Hey, I'm the Messiah. And there was a constant belief in the rumors that the Messiah had come. But he was either out in the desert or in some secret room within the city. And Jesus says, don't believe it. Don't believe it when somebody comes and tries to tell you this. He says in verse 22, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The elect that are alive during the tribulation, the, the Gentile believers and Jewish believers.
Revelation 13, verses 13 and 14 talks about the false prophet. Here's what he does. The false prophet, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven in the sight of men. Fire coming down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Now if you want to know more about that, you have to come on Wednesday nights. Or you can study it for yourself, obviously. And you should. It says to deceive, if possible, the elect... Were it not for God's power to hold the elect, they might have been deceived by these false messiahs and prophets. How do you and I understand truth? How do you you and I understand what's real? You think of the people that work in stores that, uh, that handle money, and they see so much of the real thing that a counterfeit sticks out. And so when we talk about, you know, we learn from the Word of God, and you look at God's Word, and then somebody tells you something that goes against God's Word, you see it right away. You see the counterfeit. In verse 23, Jesus says, But take heed. I have told you these things beforehand. Amazing. What an amazing blessing. See, the sign is so terrible that it does require being foretold. The great tribulation is to be shattering to one's spirit. So crushing and threatening that man must be foretold. He must take heed and prepare in case the event occurs in his lifetime. I read the book, The Late Great Planet Earth, in 1978. And that set me, this is a book by Hal Lindsey, some of you may be aware of it very popular book. That set me on a course to a life surrendered to Christ. It took 20 years. But I remember reading this book, The Late Great Planet Earth. I said, I have a copy of it if you'd like to see it. And where he laid out all these end time prophecies, and that got my attention. And I'm sure there have been many, many people who have through the study of prophecy and through the study of uh, tribulation and, and the book of Revelation, have come to faith. But notice what Jesus says, I have foretold you all things. See, he hasn't left us unprepared or in the dark, has he? He, he may not have answered all of our specific questions, and Lord knows we can come up with many of them. But he wants us to know, folks, that God is still on the throne. That's what he really wants us to know. And he will not be taken by surprise when this abomination of desolation arises. So you can have confidence and you can be assured of eternal deliverance no matter what terrible afflictions are coming upon the earth. So the question is, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus' return? It could happen any moment. If you're a believer and you're ready, what do you need to do? I mean, we can talk about all the things you, good things you can do in life and the things you can do to certainly to enhance the life of others and serve. And, that, and that's a very important thing, even defend the freedoms of our nation. I'm not talking about that. When it comes to where do you stand and how do you, how do you uh, prepare yourself, Paul says that we're to stand fast. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through 17. 
He writes, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught whether by word or our letter, our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. He's saying, stand fast. Trust me and I will establish you in all the things that you do. But what about you if, if you're an unbeliever, if you happen to be here and you, you haven't, you don't know Jesus Christ? Well, I would say to you, as, as all of us would, is that today is the day of your salvation. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, maybe you're watching online. Maybe you've heard this and you're going, man, I've heard this so many times and I'm tired of going down the path of my own will, my own way. I'm tired of being wise in my own eyes. I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Well, today is the day to do that. Today is the day for you to do business with God. Don't let this hour pass. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Lord, we ask that you go before us once again. For those of us standing in you and abiding in you, we have a great comfort knowing that we share in all things, Lord, even our difficult times. But knowing also that your promise is everlasting. And that you will receive us unto you. And that we are not destined for wrath. We are not destined to be an object of this terrible time that's coming. It will not be put upon us if we abide in you. And may we be strengthened. May we encourage one another when we see a foreshadowing of the crazy things that are going to happen in our world today. Go before us. But Lord, for those who are still you know, on the fence, maybe, just it hasn't happened yet. It, it hasn't clicked in their mind and in their hearts. Lord, would you open up their minds and their hearts to receive you today? Will you guide them in all truth? Will you help them to see and to, and to taste of your goodness and know that it's good and it comes from you? Will you bring them unto salvation, Lord? go before each and every person that hears this message. Let it ring in their hearts and their ears for their salvation. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name and all God's people say. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless. God bless.